0: Great to be with you. I actually love this church. Um, I've only been here a few times, but uh, every time I just... I don't know if you can say this about a church, but there's just a vibe here. That's, that's kind of a Southern California word, I'm from Southern California. In fact, the last time I was here, I was with my, my daughter. We were driving down Randall Road, and she said, Dad, what are those big green things? And I said, well, honey, in, in America, we call that Corn. And so she says, oh, I've never seen corn. We live at the beach, so you don't have a lot of corn fields. And so this week I told her I was coming here, and she said, oh, you're going to the place with a lot of corn. I don't think any of you would probably think that there's a lot of corn, although I know there's a couple of, uh, of the other campuses that have some corn around them. But anyway, she thinks you have a lot of corn here, so there you go. I want to give a quiz right from the beginning, okay? Everybody has to participate. I want you all to join me. At 5.10, I'm getting on a plane. I'm flying to Orange County, California to go back home, and I want you all to come on the plane with me. Now, (laughs) the beach is nice right now, although this weather is great. Sometimes I have to come here in the winter, and that's not uh, as good. But I want you to come with me, and what's going to happen is the flight attendant is going to welcome us, and she's going to say, welcome. So glad you're here. We're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate a great event. You're coming on this plane. Now, I need to warn you that there's a 35 to 50% chance that the plane is going to crash. How many of you would still get on the plane? Okay. Wait, put, keep your hands up. Okay, about five of you. Okay. There's going to be prayer and healing for, your, for people over here if you'd <laughs> like to be out of the parade. You five, you go first at the end. But, of course, we're not going to typically go on a plane if we knew we had a... 35 to 50% chance of crashing. But do you know that in America, last year, there were 2.4 million marriages? And if the statistics hold, the divorce rate will be somewhere between 35 and 50%. See. Now, when I got the call to come and speak to you on trends in marriage, at first I thought I'm a positive person. I don't want to go negative. And sometimes when you look at trends and you look at culture, you can go negative, and you sure can with marriage. I mean, that'd be easy. All of us could do that. Really simple. But what I realize is there's also some positive trends. So I'm going to whine for just a moment about some of the negative trends. But actually, I want to look at four trends that could help you if you're married or if you're not married. This isn't just about for marriage people. The reason is because I see students in here. I see some younger people. I see people who probably are single and you've gone through problems. And by the way, if you've gone through divorce or you're on your second, third, tenth marriage, you know what? These trends work. These principles work, and they're actually taken out of the scripture, and they can make a difference. So we're not throwing anything at you negative, we're just simply saying, from where you're at right now, this works. And by the way, if you're not married, like I said, one of the problems that happens when we're not married is we we don't have sometimes role models for how to do this. And I'm gonna give you some models out of the scripture today. Okay. Well, before I do that, I need to tell you about a husband and a wife who went to the doctor, and the husband hadn't been feeling well and So he went into the place, and the woman stayed in the waiting room, and for an hour and a half, he was prodded and poked and tested, and blood was drawn, and then the doctor would go meet with somebody else and then come back, and, I mean, he spent an hour and a half with this man. Well, the man was a bit stunned at the amount of energy and time he then had to speak to the doctor and told him he'd been under a lot of stress and whatnot, so a lot of information, the doctor said, I want to speak to your wife. And so the door opens, and the doctor just looks at the wife who's in the waiting room, who's wondering what's been going on, and says, you know, come this way. So the wife kind of walks in, thinking she's going to hear something horrible. And he sits down in the office. He said, well, your husband is severely ill. And she kind of thought, boy, I, I thought so. So said, now, I'm going to give you a prescription that, actually, if you follow this, I think he can be totally well in 8 to 10, maybe 12 months. If you don't, I'm afraid he's going to die. I mean, think about this. You're the wife of this man. They've been married for a long time. He said, your husband's under a lot of stress, and what he's going to need is every morning for you to cook a warm breakfast. He says he likes omelets. And I know he gets up really early, earlier than you, because he told me that, but can you get up early and fix him his favorite breakfast? And she said, I guess so. He's going to need a great lunch, and then at dinner, feed him his favorite food. I mean, just honestly, for the next year, just whatever he wants, feed him his favorite food. And I know there's a lot of stress in his life, so you're going to have to help the kids not put any stress in his life. So no discipline for the kids, things like that. Now, you do the discipline, but don't put it on him because he, he works hard. And I know he said you work too, but, but, you know, he works hard, and so you're just going to have to take and remove the stress. Okay? And, 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 and frankly, you can't be moody for the next year. Because <laughs> if you're moody, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause undue stress on him, and he's going to stay ill. And then one last thing, he has a sparkle in his eye, and he said, and you're going to have to please him in every way he wants. So anything he wants, you're just going to please him. You think you can do that? And the woman kind of nodded her head. So they walk out. She's stunned. He, the man can see her, wondering what's going on. They get in the car, and she goes, honey, he poked and prodded for a long time. What, what did he say to you? She thinks about it for a minute. She says, you're going to die. here's the point. Your relationships are going to die if you're not intentional about connecting and about making it work. And so again, can we talk about negative stuff? Sure we can. You know, it's the news. The divorce rate is ridiculous. It's stunning. It's staggering. Broken relationships everywhere. The millennials who I'm interested in are now getting married for four years and then saying we'll renew it every four years, just like a presidential campaign. I mean, that's crazy. 74% of people said in 1974 that they would not live with someone before or instead of marriage. Today, it's just the opposite 74% of the American population say that they would live with someone before or instead of marriage. Cohabitation is changing even the way we look at trends in marriage because so many people today are cohabitating. But what's interesting about that, not talking from a biblical view, but talking from just a scientific view, that people who cohabitate, they get their divorce rate is higher once they get married. People who co- cohabitate have much greater chance of infidelity in their marriage and Interesting enough, even though they were cohabitating, that once they get married, they say that their physical relationship is worse than the average person in terms of physical intimacy. Very fascinating. See, So the world is changing when it comes to even the way we look at it, but there are some trends that have been around for a long time, and these trends actually are from the Bible. Okay, And what I want to do is, is, is place in front of you a scripture that is probably, if you are married or if you've been to a wedding, a Christian wedding, pastor married you, a priest married you, you've been to some wedding, even if you're not married, you probably heard these words because these words are almost always said at every wedding. And so what happens is, is we hear these words, they're the words of Jesus, but when we hear these words, we kind of go, okay, you know, I've heard that, we've been there, it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other, but they're pretty powerful. And frankly, they also show us how we're to do marriage. What, What is the ultimate goal of marriage? What is the, in many ways, the ultimate definition of marriage? Now again, many of us weren't raised in that kind of environment. I wasn't, my mom and dad were married for 53 years. Um, Dad was an alcoholic, mom uh, was that codependent and they stayed married but they weren't my role model for marriage. I'm not burning on them, they stayed together, they persevered, it's pretty incredible. In fact, if you have a troubled marriage, the new statistic of this year says that if you persevere for five years, they've done studies on this, that if you persevere for five years, that 75% of you would say that your marriage is better off after five years for persevering. And I'm sure that that's what my parents did. God bless them for doing it. Not that that's easy. Kathy's family, on the other hand, my wife, her family is just plain weird. So I had alcoholism. She had weirdness. And, um, and, and her parents stayed together until her dad died. They were, that was 40-some years. And um, kind of same thing. They're, they're not who we're going to follow. So we didn't have that. Some of you do. Some of you don't. But the scripture here is actually Jesus' illustration, I think, of an incredible marriage. And it starts in Matthew 19, 4 through 6. Now, again, Jim will exegete this much better than me. I'm not going to give you Bible study today. I'm going to speak on the trends of marriage. But this is the overall scripture that I want us thinking about. And it says this. Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said... Now, this is what you hear it at weddings... For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That's always in weddings. You say, well, what does that have to do with, with you personally? What does it have to do with you if you're married? What does it have to do if you're not married? Well, frankly, it's going to show us, I think, some, some trends. Before I talk about the trends and the scripture, because this is going to be the overall uh, place of where we're going. I want to talk about what I call the 1% factor. The 1% factor is something that the ministry I'm a part of is totally engaged in. What we're trying to do is lower the divorce rate by 1%. I'm going to tell you why. Because if we can lower the divorce rate in America by 1%, then we will affect 1.5 million kids every year who will not be in a home where mom and dad aren't together, but where mom and dad are together. and We know that's better, even though there's struggles, there's issues. I'm Again, I'm there's pain in life, there's complicated things. I'm not talking necessarily about that today. I'm talking about these trends to help you not be in that place, okay? And so the 1% factor says that, well, kids can thrive if they're in a home with mom and dad. And actually, I believe that in almost every situation, not every, but in almost every situation, that people can stay together if they'll do some of these trends, If you're just thinking about trends here in the church, and your church does a great job here with this. But the trend would be teaching kids how to have right relationships. That's actually, you heard this last week if you were here. It's not just the job of the church, but it's also the job of parents to teach kids how to have good relationships. My parents never taught me that. They never proactively went after that, and so Kathy and I didn't really know what to do. We had a horrible first year. We talked about the D word all the time, divorce. And then a year into it, we said, we're going to quit talking about the D word because it's making us insecure. So Kathy then had moved to the M word, which was murder. But that's another story. <laughs> but the point being is that the way you do the 1% factor is you don't do it when people are in crisis. You start with kids. And you talk about relationship. That's your job as parents with these kids, even some of the kids who are around you. Okay. Then you move to, to premarital. Do you know that if people will actually have premarital counseling then they will have a 31% better chance of staying married. And the premarital counseling is not the magic, okay? But it's that they're willing to talk about their, and deal with their issues. That's a remarkable thing. And yet of the 2.4 million people who got married last year, most of them didn't get premarital counseling. That's a problem. In fact, a a quarter of them got married because there was a pregnancy in it. Isn't that interesting? That's still happening in the United States, okay? So then we move to the first few years. Maybe that's where some of you are. And if you're in the first few years, it's complicated because what we should be doing is building a foundation for our marriage and working through some of the issues of the first few years so that we can have plenty more, but it's usually the time when we have attractive distractions, jobs, work, babies. In fact, even in the first few years, if there is a baby that comes along, they say that there's about a 50% of the people say that the marital satisfaction in, um, in your relationship goes down, not up. Isn't that interesting? And then, of course, what I'd call the refreshing your marriage years, which is the, the, you know, the more committed, uh, the longer time. But if we don't work on it, the relationship is going to die, like we said. So I want to show you a video. The video is a video that we show at Homeward to actually church leaders, trying to challenge them to, uh, to work with this 1% initiative. There's a closet scene. There's music, it's not any words. But there's a closet scene. What I want you to imagine is you being in the second round of the closet, not the first round. Here it goes.
1: I belong to you. What will I choose ah, We are your hands and feet. We are free to change the world. Ah, ah, we're reaching out to the unseen, to those who have. We are your hands and feet, we are free to change the world, Uh, uh, uh. reaching out to the unseen, your hands and feet.
0: Pretty powerful, actually. I think that could have been me. Uh, Kathy and I were just celebrating, just in Italy, we're celebrating 40 years of marriage. Thank you. She says they are 12 of her happiest years. Now, we write books on marriage. We speak at marriage conferences sometimes together, and I'm telling you, it's hard. It's not easy. No one said it was easy. But for a lot of us, we get lazy when it comes to this. And we take the easy way out instead of the harder way out. But yet, the trends that I'm going to give you are very simple. Almost an oversimplification today where I give you a simple trend. I give you a simple trend that becomes a principle. But simple doesn't mean easy. You understand what I'm saying? Simple sometimes means that it takes discipline. I said from here a few years ago that there's pain in life. And it's either the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. That closet shows the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. And for a lot of us, it simply is a discipline. I don't know what we think needs, but I want to give you four trends that do. And now the interesting side to it is when Jameson and I had a conversation about this, and I came up with 20 trends with my wife. We were driving, and I said, hey, I'm going to go back to that church that I like so much, and I'm going to speak about trends in marriage. I said, what do you think are some of the positive trends? And we brainstormed, 20. I'm going to give you four, or you'd be here all day. We turned into a marriage seminar, okay? But... Some of them are actually even sexier, trends that I'm not talking about today. But I chose these four because I think they fit within the Scripture that I had read to you, and I honestly believe that they are life-changing, and you might be surprised with a couple of them. The first trend is get on the same page. Get on the same page. In fact, the Bible says, in, uh, back to, to, to Matthew 19, the Bible says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The focus here is leaving your past and being united to, his, to, to your wife or to your husband. Being united to your wife or to your husband means that you get on the same page. Huh. That's not always easy. I don't know about you, but you know, for Kathy and I, we thought it would be easier. We were both Christ followers. We were right out of college. We went, this is going to be great. We were involved in ministry. This is going to be easy. Ha. Huh not at all, to get on the same page, because we found pretty quickly that we had a difference of opinion on finances. We have it over the $1.31 thing. Kathy's a little bit more, shall we say, disciplined and organized. I'm a little bit less organized. And one night, it was 1.30 in the morning, and she was still balancing our checkbook. And I said to Kathy, what are you doing? I was asleep. What are you doing? You have to get up at 5.30 to go to work. And she said, well, the checkbook isn't bouncing. I'm thinking it's hundreds of dollars, although I was a youth pastor, so it couldn't have been hundreds of dollars because I didn't have that. So I said, well, how much is it? She said, $1.31. I kind of went, oh. so I did the dumbest thing you can imagine. I went and got $1.31 and I slammed it on the table. Now, I'm telling you that sleeping on the couch was not that bad, okay? In fact, some of us guys think it's like camping and it's kind of okay? Okay, but then I realized later that Kathy knows how to do finances and she cared about the dollar 31 cents and I didn't. And so I had to kind of give up my idea of, of finance and let her do it. And guess what? It worked fine. We had to agree to disagree. We're on the same page because I just went, there you go. Okay, we have a difference of opinion when it comes to education. You know, I've got a PhD, but I can't do sixth grade math, I'll admit that right now. Um, Kathy, on the other hand, she has her master's degree. She works with kids who have uh, severe autism and and various other types of learning. Uh, uh, She says people who learn differently. And we had a different opinion when kids started coming in on how you do education. All three of my kids are in a master's program, so they're not exactly dumb. And I finally, again, had to say, we're going to agree to disagree. And I still uh, disagree with some of the ways Kathy did it, but guess what? We went, we've got to be on the same page. So you can be on the same page without even agreeing on everything. What you've got to do is is put a a line in the ground and say, is this the hill I'm going to battle on? And every marriage and every relationship needs battling, but you don't have to battle everything. See, I, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Now, if you're not married, then you want to get on the same page. And actually, you have it easier because you're not married yet. And what what does it mean to get on the same page? We could talk about this all day, but basically one of the things that it means, and the Bible says this quite clearly, is do not team up with unbelievers. That's the living Bible. The other part of the scripture says do not be unequally yoked. What does that mean? That means that actually Christians should marry Christians. Now some of you go, oh, wait, wait, wait. Here you're going. I know somebody who was a non-believer, and they're now missionaries in the Czech Republic or someplace. Well, that does happen, and I totally understand that. There are people who get married and they're not believers, and they come, become believers. I mean, it's, it's, it's a mishmash. But for most of us, we have to understand that if we marry somebody who's not on the same page, that doesn't mean that we're looking down on non-believers. Actually, some of my friends who are non-believers are nicer, kinder, gentler, more wonderful than some of my friends who are, who are, who are Christians. However, the Bible is clear. The yoke symbol, two oxen are in the field, and they have a yoke around them so that they can turn together. It's just that much better. I'm thinking of Don and Brenda. Brenda is an incredible kid. I've known her since she well, she's not a kid anymore, but you know, I've known her since she was a kid. And she marries Don. She goes to a prestigious school. She's in medical school. She meets a guy who's gonna be a doctor who really is intelligent. He is a great doctor, and he's a good man. And so she falls in at least infatuation with him. He's not a believer. He's not a bad guy, but he's just simply not a believer. So he, she falls in infatuation with him. She then starts sleeping with him. She'd kind of taken her eye off the ball when it came to her Christian faith. She was enamored with him. And Dr. Ray Short at the University of Wisconsin, not too far from her, I pointed like that's the University of Wisconsin. I have no idea which direction Wisconsin is, but I know it's you know somewhere around here. So... Dr. Ray Short at the University of Wisconsin says, and, and people all agree on this, it's very fascinating as you kind of even think through culture and trends, but when couples come together, they are in infatuation for two years. They may say love, and it, puppy love, and it may be real to puppies, but it's still infatuation. He said after two years, that's when your, your love solidifies, okay? But what's fascinating today is when people start sleeping together like Don and Brenda did, what Dr. Ray Short says is that it changes the mix for about three years. You can't tell if you're in love or in infatuation because you're sleeping together. I call it instant intimacy. And so what happened with Don and Brenda was that they were sleeping together. She assumed she was in love with him. They got married pretty quickly. They ended up having babies. And so now they have two kids. So I'm sitting with Brenda not too long ago, and she says, I have deep sorrow. She goes, you got to understand, I love my kids, and I'm going to stay in this marriage forever. And so her commitment will probably make that happen. She said, my deep sorrow is that my, the legacy of my parents' faith is probably going to end with me because my husband has no interest in it at all, and he's not an evil person. Okay? And my two kids are going the way of my husband because usually that's what happens with whoever the person is in that field. So so Brenda has deep sorrow. Does that mean that she can't live a good life? Does that mean her husband is happy to have her at church? Not all the time, but, but, you know, at church. Again, it's not a horrible relationship. But what I'm saying is, to you who aren't married, get on the same page. It will cause you great joy and less deep sorrow. If you are married, get on the same page. Just get on the same page. For Kathy and I, it's the scripture Ephesians 5.21. It says, mutually submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so it goes back to this whole idea that, again, what I'm trying to do is I, I don't have to win every argument. In fact, if I win an argument, then I lose the battle with Kathy. And so, and so it's more of a, of a we than it is of a, you know, she's the enemy type of thing or he's the enemy type of thing. So, so, so you get on the same page. That's trend number one. What we're finding is that people who have similar likes, similar interests, Ray Short says, marry your next-door neighbor. I mean, most of us didn't marry our next-door neighbor. But the more you have in common. So what that means for Kathy and myself, after 40 years, we looked at this as a trend that we're doing, is it meant we, there were certain things we didn't even know we didn't like about each other or know we didn't have an interest in that you know, the other did. So it meant we had to work on those things. So when Kathy comes up to me and she says, I'd like to take ballroom dancing, can I just tell you that I would rather stab my neck with a fork than take ballroom dancing? And so I said, well, how often do we have to do that? She goes, well, that's not very kind of you to say it like that. And she's all excited about ballroom dancing. I said, Kathy, you know that, that even people make fun of me when I dance at a wedding because I just don't have any kind of beat whatsoever. I mean, it's embarrassing. She said... I'd like to take it, but, you know, if you don't want to, I mean, it's okay. I'll take ballroom dancing. So we do four lessons. I am the worst person in the ballroom dancing class. I just want you to know. I'm embarrassed. And when I'm embarrassed, my bald head sweats, my ears turn red. You know, the lady's saying, you haven't had much dancing experience, have you? I went, no, actually, no. You know, I just don't have the beat. So she said, if you'd like a private lesson, it would be $75. Kathy, before she could look at me, said, I think we need a private lesson. Now I'm into this thing for even more money. Guess what? Last week, we went ballroom dancing. Now, again, I'm 60 years old. I'm the youngest person in the ballroom dancing store, or place. And I'm wearing something like this, and everybody else is dressed up. Kathy's looking pretty nice. She's dressed up. But you know what? I just realized was, she wanted to do that. Was it going to kill me to go ball? Now, I don't tell a lot of my friends. I, no way would I say this in Dana Point, California, because I don't want any of my guy friends. I mean, I'm thinking about fuel. And those guys are not going to go ballroom dancing. I just That's a lousy illustration, probably. They're, gonna, they're macho. They're going to look at cars and things like that. But the same thing, if I was one, I'm, I don't ballroom dance or I don't know a whole lot about cars either. That's a problem with me. But if I did, then I would, well, frankly, Kathy should go, you know, I don't really care about cars, but I'll come and hang out. You know, we like, the sport. we like sports together. We go to games. We, we go to the beach. We're beach people. There's a lot of things we have in common. So, again, you get on the same page but also not only do you get on the same page but the second trend is even more fascinating and it's something we don't talk enough about at church and that is well get serious about having fun that's the trend couples who have fun together do well couples who don't play together don't do well in fact the bible says if you look at this trend from the scripture the Bible says, and the two will become one flesh. That's the second part of Matthew 5. Now, what's fascinating about that is when we think of two becoming one flesh, a lot of times people like me talk about physical intimacy. And obviously, when two people come together, this isn't sex education time, but when people come together, two become one flesh. But I'm saying that couples who have fun together become one flesh, much more. Laughter, play. But yet there's a lot of people in this room Including at seasons of my life, moi, where we didn't have that. We didn't become authentic oneness because we didn't have play. One evening, my daughter Heidi is coming home and she's been babysitting Scott and Anita. They were in my youth group. I was a youth pastor when I had hair. As soon as I lost hair, I went, I can't be a youth pastor anymore. And they made too many hair, no hair jokes. And Scott and Anita are wonderful people. They have four kids and beautiful, beautiful people. And H- Kathy and I are at the kitchen table for some reason and she comes and sits down and she goes, I love Scott. I love Anita. They have four great kids, but they told me something that I'm, like, stunned by. So what? That you were their youth pastors? Because she sees us as, like, friends, not that we're the older ones. And she said, but then they said that you and mom were fun and funny one time? <laughs> I kind of look at Kathy. You know, ow, just stab me right here, Heidi. And I thought to myself, you know, three teenagers equal no fun. No offense, teenagers, I know there's a lot of you in here, okay? <laughs> so what had happened was Heidi didn't see us as fun or funny, and probably she would have said, you and mom don't seem to have a lot of fun, or you don't seem to play together, and frankly, you know, that was our mistake, you see? So the trend is that when couples play together, when couples have fun, it's a good thing. Now, there's a phrase that's not in any of your notes. It's not going to come up here, but it's a great phrase. It's about words. Words don't lead to connection, but connection leads to words. What I mean by that is, is if Kathy and I are sitting at the kitchen table doing our finances, we're not going to say, oh, this was the greatest thing that's ever happened in our life. Or if we're sitting in bed late at night when it's too late, when we should be sleeping, and, and we're talking about our relationship and where it's gone south, or we're talking about problems. That's not like we then go, this has been the coolest time. I just, I just love you so much. No, no. But you know where it happens? is when we play together. When We're beach people, so when we go to the beach together, when we go for walks with our dog, when we go on a trip, when we have long moments of romance, yes, romance, see, playing together. And it always amazes me that it's the fun times where we connect, and when we connect, we have better words, is what I'm trying to say. So you've got to determine the fun factor in your marriage. Anybody who's married right now, determine the fun factor. I know this is an oversimplification, but what I'm going to say is if there's a fun factor in your marriage, your marriage is probably doing okay, and if you don't have a fun factor in your marriage, it may not be doing as well. The Bible says in Proverbs 17, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. A cheerful heart is good medicine. Now, that's not about being outgoing or being able to tell a joke because I, have, I am outgoing and I can tell a good joke at times, but the truth is, is that there are times when I have had a crushed spirit and that's not going to affect my relationship with Kathy in a good way. And so cheerfulness sometimes comes from playing together, from enjoying each other. I love, love what uh, uh, Leonard Sweet said. He said, For a marriage to sing and dance... For two people to make beautiful music together they need to play not work at their marriage. Some of us are working too hard on trying to get everything perfect when what we need to do is play together. Play using humor, having fun. It builds lifelong traditions. Play opens up closed spirits. Hey, play. Yes, play can sometimes heal a, a marriage. You know, laughter is is so good and people say laughter is good medicine. Anybody in here have a four-year-old connected to your life? It could be grandkids. It could be your own kids. Look at this. Okay, a lot of you. Do you know that the, a four-year-old laughs more than anybody else? A four-year-old, the average four-year-old laughs 400 times a day. That's every four minutes, by the way. That's why they're so goofy, and we all love them. That's a great stage. You know how many times you laugh? If you're an adult, you laugh 15 times a day. Isn't that interesting? In a book called Anatomy of an Illness... Uh, writer named Norman Cousins, who was a, was a speaker at a lot of medical conventions and things like this, uh, his premise was that you could laugh your way toward healing, and he actually did. He had a story, he had a testimony of that, where he checked out of a hospital and watched a bunch of uh, old-time movies in a, host- in a uh, hotel room, a Hyatt Regency, which was less expensive than the hotel room, which was very interesting, um, but, you know, it healed him. And I'm not saying that if you're on medicine that you should throw out your medicine. I'm just simply saying that laughter can heal. If laughter can heal you sometimes physically, I'm telling you that fun can heal a marriage in ways that other people may never understand. So here's two questions. Let me meddle in your life. How's the fun factor in your marriage? Sidebar, and then I'm going to get to the second one. If you're not married and you're in a relationship and, you're, and it's constant turmoil and constant struggle, then seriously, do you really want to then get married? Because at least in premarital, people a lot of times say, we have so much fun, we're best friends, you know, we play together, we do all this stuff together. Well, that's why they like each other. But if you're already burdened, then you know, there you go. But how's the fun factor in your marriage? Now, the second question is this. If, you, if the fun factor isn't very good, what are you willing to do about it? You know, what we don't want to do, and again, this, I'm, I'm using the scripture as a preface to where I'm going today when you talk about trends in marriage. But the fact is, is we know what to do a lot of times, we just simply don't do it. Now when it comes to having fun, every one of us want to have fun. And we want to have a cheerful spirit instead of dried bones that's crushed. But in order to do that, there's probably something that we need to do. John Gottman, who's the leading marriage researcher in the world today, he's out of the University of Washington, up in Washington State. I pointed the same way Wisconsin is, so I guess that's where I'm gonna (laughs) point today. He says the determining factor whether a couple feels satisfied with sex, romance, and passion is in, their mar- in their marriage is the quality of the couple's friendship. So there's a friendship factor as well as a fun factor, see? Kathy and I were, were best friends when we were in college. And I actually wanted more, and she had a boyfriend. His name was Bruce. That's another story. I'll tell you about it one other time. Um, she'd always come to me and say, you know, what do you think I should do with Bruce? It's not really going well. I'd always say the same thing. Break up with a the scum. There is somebody better. Um, <laughs> but all through college, we were good friends. And so the friendship factor, what do friends do? Friends play together. Friends have grace. Friends enjoy each other's company, see? But a lot of times in marriage, they, you were friends, and now you're not friends. You're roommates. I did not marry this beautiful, incredible woman to be her roommate, And yet, we get into that habit, and especially at a time when there's kids, and, you know, we almost need a computer printout to, you know, here's soccer, and here's this, and here's that, and all of a sudden, you know, we're taxi drivers, but we're not spending any time connecting together. So we make a decision to have a non-negotiable date night where we have some fun, and we don't talk about kids, and we don't talk about finance. I mean, ever so often we do, but it's a time of courting each other, and that changes the way it goes, okay? You know, as much as I hated ballroom dancing for a while, I have to be honest with you, and it's really hard for me as a you know, a man, to admit that. But, you know, we have a blast together. And, oh, man, does Kathy love it. I have a blast because Kathy thinks it's so cool. Except for the time she made me buy these horrible shoes that I will never wear again. And she made me wear them because she said I had weird shoes compared to what anybody else had. That's another story. So trend number two is get serious about having fun. Are you? Some of you needed to hear that. Some of you came today to hear that part of this message. Third trend. Get serious about spiritual growth. I mean, you assume this. It's going to come from a pastor type guy. Get serious about spiritual growth. But the fascinating thing is, is that it's probably, even for you Christians, it's probably the least developed area of our marital intimacy, spiritual growth. And this scripture is also about spiritual connection and intimacy. Here, look at that. Therefore, going to the second sentence, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So in other words... You're no longer two, but you're one flesh. That's what marriage does. And now what God has brought together. But for a lot of us, we live our marriages as if God is only sort of present or he's sort of you know, on the side somehow. Now, here's the incredibly good news about this trend. Shanti Feldhahn uh, is a friend of mine, and she wrote a book that came out recently called The Good News About Marriage. And she actually wrote it for uh, marriage counselors and pastors and things like that. And she's come up with the fact that all of us would probably say that we hear that the marriage trend, if you would, is about 50% divorce rate. Okay, But what she's saying is, no, it's not among Christians. But what we've also heard is that Christians have the same divorce rate as non-Christians. So I'm with Shanti a couple years ago, and with her husband Jeff and and Kathy and I are sitting talking about this. And she said, I think it's wrong. And she's a researcher, graduate of of Harvard, master's degree at Harvard. I said, well, let's talk to George Barna. George Barna is a good friend of mine. He's the researcher who came up with this. So we're at a conference after this, and I put George and Shanti together, who are these two researchers who I read and I respect and have probably been, if not quoted, they're being used in the trending now, I'll tell you that much, both of them. And Shanti asked George this question. She says, George, what was the question you asked when you asked if they'd been divorced or not? And he said, "Well, oh, I asked, are you a Christian? Well, Shanti changed the words. And Shanti's question to people was not, are you a Christian, but do you attend a worship service two times a month? See, the difference was, everybody in America says they're Christian, but they don't live out their faith, necessarily. Or maybe they, they are Christian because they think they're an American. Okay. But the fascinating st- study was this. Do you attend worship service? So if you're worshiping together, listen to this. The percentage rate changed 15%. That's huge. So what the trend says is that if you're getting serious about your spiritual growth and you're coming to worship service, you get a check for that, that you're attending to worship services, that it's going uh, to change it by that much. So what Shanti's saying is, no, the, 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 the statistic has been wrong that we've all been quoting. Very fascinating. So worship services, see. I mentioned a year ago this a little bit in a message I gave here. But get serious about your spiritual growth together. I mentioned it just a moment ago. As many of us, for many of us, I should say, it's the least developed area of marital intimacy, spiritual. It was for Kathy and me, and at times it still is. Why? I mean, we're in ministry. We believe what I'm saying, and I think you believe it, but we don't do it sometimes. So we're at a Homeward event. Homeward is wh- who I work with, and this man named Dave Stoop, who's one of my heroes, is speaking, and he, he blows my mind. He says... Divorce rate is about 50%. Okay. He said, however, there's a new study out of Cornell that says if you pray together daily or at least regularly, that there is a one in 1,100%. 1, Unbelievable. I mean, that would take marriage counselors out of work if we just started praying together. I went, wow, that's amazing. But then he went further. He said, you got little cards on your table, and if you're willing to commit to daily prayer together. He said, it could be a minute, 30 seconds. You could, if you feel uncomfortable praying out loud, just hold hands. But would you be willing to do that? And I watched Kathy start filling it out. So I go, she's going to fill this thing out to make that commitment. She, he says, I want you to fill this out, and then I'm going to mail it to you in six weeks and see how you're doing. So we both filled it out. And we put it on a table, like a table where your communion tables are. i want to tell you. It's been magnificent. Has it been easy? No, I've fallen asleep in the middle of a prayer. Um, (laughs) You know, some of the prayer time is boring. I don't remember what I ate last week, but, you know, it nurses me for the day, so some of our prayer hasn't been, you know, we're not walking six inches off the ground. We've had to pray when we're mad at each other. But I'm saying that if you would be willing to pray regularly, you would get serious about spiritual growth. You who are Christian and, I mean, you who are married and you who are not yet, as you get married, this is a big ingredient. One out of 1,100 compared to one out of two? I mean, this is amazing trending stuff, frankly. I know that some of the trending, because I've listened to some of your podcasts, and by the way, they've been amazing during this thing, and we're talking about culture. Culture is somewhat negative, so it can be negative. This is a positive trend. It's simple, it's not easy. You try to figure out how to do that discipline. We're asking for a minute of your time and yet it's hard sometimes. Life's complicated, I understand. Then for Kathy and I, during this season of kind of getting serious about our spirituality, we end up um, going to a, a couple's house And uh, we've always kind of struggled with the spiritual stuff together. Easy to do it with others, but always harder for us to do it together. And we bought a book once, and we did it great for four days, but it was supposed to be every day, and it never worked. And then we kind of got rid of that book, and then we got rid of another book because we thought it was the first book's problem. And um, not our problem, of course. We're at this couple's house, and I said to him, what do you do for spiritual growth and intimacy as a couple? I mean, this guy's like now in his 80s, his wife. And he said, all proud, he said, we actually get together for our spiritual time 20 minutes a, a, a week. And I went, a week or a day? Because I'm thinking, you know, he's a spiritual leader. Of course they're going to do it. You know, 20 minutes sounded wimpy per day if you're like the spiritual guru. And he said, no, 20 minutes a week, it's great. He's all, like all proud of it. So we talked about other things. We get in the cars. we're backing out of the driveway. Kathy looks at me and she goes, you know, Jim, I'd really like to commit to that 20 minutes thing. See, she had a real desire for spiritual intimacy with me but I wasn't necessarily taking the lead. So I said, I can do that as long as we don't have to go do a Bible study. I mean, I'm not saying Bible study. I love Bible study, but I don't want to add a huge Bible study. She goes, that's fine. Scripture, story, typically she reads it to me devotionally. And then we pray together. That's our 20-minute thing. And I'm here to tell you that I believe that the anointing of God in our marriage and with our children and actually in my ministry has changed when we started doing what we call our closer time. And we even laugh about it because we were telling some people this and then some guy said, write a book. So I wrote a book called Closer with Kathy. We wrote it together. It's the only book we've ever written together. It's funny because we actually thought a little bit about writing the book closer together because she would have a different opinion than mine. But that's another problem. (laughs) So we write this book together and it gets sent out. It's the best-selling marriage devotional now in the country. And I I mean I get all I mean, I've written a bunch of books. But the fact is, is that's the book that gets the most stuff. And no one ever says, you did a good job writing. They just simply go, we love the 20 minutes. And it mainly comes from women. That's one of their deep desires. So men, some of us need to buck it up. You don't need a book to do that. But it's spending 20 minutes a day, a week. So what I'm asking you to do is get serious about spiritual growth by literally investing a minute or two a day praying together and 20 minutes a week. You can do that. Sometimes we ask you too much, too hard of to stuff here. Not here, but you know, we Christian types, leader, speaker types. I'm just saying, invest that way, get serious about your spiritual growth. It will change something. And the two will become one flesh. What God has brought together, let no one separate. And you say, well, my spouse won't do that. Okay. But you know what? Your spouse may take the one-minute thing on. Your spouse may take some inspiration. And it doesn't hurt to ask. Don't nag at them, don't pout. Just simply say, hey, would you be willing to do this? And so don't start with 20 minutes a week. Start with five. And all of a sudden, it becomes a habit. Make it easy, see? Last trend, very key trend, is get serious about forgiveness and grace. All studies tell us this, all trends, tell us that you can't have a healthy marriage or a healthy relationship if you do not give forgiveness and grace or receive forgiveness and grace. See, God's forgiveness is staggering. And people who can't give or receive forgiveness often really don't comprehend God's unconditional sacrificial love. So no no closing illustration, just an incredible quote by C.S. Lewis. To be Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. So to be a Christian means that we receive forgiveness from God For our inexcusable, and every one of us in this room, the thing is, we think these other people are better off than us. They're not, I know, you tell me. We we do inexcusable stuff, and God loves us anyway. And also then, we take God's love and forgiveness and we give it to to our spouse, or we give it in a relationship, we give it to our kids, whatever it might be. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. In fact, the summary of that verse is in Colossians 3.13, forgive as the Lord forgives you. If you're pointing your finger and blaming your spouse, your ex, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, remember that there's three fingers pointing back at you. And as Martin Luther said, I can't do anything about birds flying over my head, but I can let them, I can have them not build a nest on my head. And some of us have bitterness and resentment because we're not willing to forgive or we're not willing to receive forgiveness. So my closing illustration isn't me. My closing illustration is is what you're going to do right now. In a moment, Eric's going to do a great job of describing to us communion. And it's the bread that represents the broken body of Jesus Christ. He loves you sacrificially and unconditionally. He loves you not for what you do, he loves you for who you are. You're his child. And the only way for us to love someone with forgiveness and grace is to take that and accept the forgiveness and grace from God. And then he's going to talk about the cup. That's the blood of Christ shed for you. Jesus Christ hung on a cross like a piece of meat. I'm sorry. And he bled and he died so that you and I might have life eternal and life abundant. And so when we talk about the trends in marriage, one of the biggest principles or trend is that we have to give forgiveness, but you're not going to give forgiveness if you don't receive the forgiveness of God. It's going to block, and then it's going to bubble up, and it'll just be negative, negative, negative. Hey, I don't deserve to be forgiven, but I find myself being arrogant. And in my arrogance with Kathy as I say to God, forgive me of my sins, and then I don't want to give, you know, forgive Kathy. Well, my sins are a lot bigger than her sins, and yet why am I not willing to forgive her when God is forgiving me? And God is sharing me with grace. That's the good news of the gospel. If you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, there would be some out there. This would be a good day to do that. Because if you are going to try to white-knuckle a relationship or you're going to try to white-knuckle a marriage, it is not going to work. And so there's simple trends, four of them that I gave you today. Not easy, but simple. As you accept those trends, I would suggest that even when you do communion today, that you would... Ask God, what is it that you want me to do or who you want me to be in this relationship, not only with him, but with whoever you're thinking about as I'm talking. Almighty God, thank you so much for these men and women. And thank you for the privilege we have to come to your table. So even though we're going to be in a line and somebody's going to pass us bread and say, this is the body of Christ, et cetera, et cetera. God, may this be a moment where we come closer to you. It's the heart's desire. Every person's heart desire is to grow closer to you. And every person in here wants to have, if they're married, a a better and a more right relationship with their spouse. And Lord, today we saw that. Thank you for the illustration of your words. So bless this time. Use it in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said